Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know about a special opportunity going on at Modern Pain Care. Right now, we're enrolling our first cohort of the Modern Pain Pro community. We're going to have experts like Mike Stewart, Bronnie Thompson, joining me to help clinicians get their confidence and success up in their pain practice. The doors close soon, so go to modernpaincare.com forward slash pro to get enrolled. Now, on to this week's content. You go into a clinic, and there's so much energy, and there's so much time, and there's so much money invested in this one model that everybody's, A, they start to believe there's nothing else out there. B, they won't open up because they spent so much time, money, and energy. The energy, time, and money to maintain status quo is insane in healthcare. Why don't we flood the market with the positive instead of the negative? So instead of you creating an account and creating 100,000 followers because you go out and find everything that you and your tribe think is bad, why don't you just get those 100,000 people to all share positives? and show good interactions. Welcome back for another episode of the Modern Pain Podcast. And this week, we're going to be talking to a good friend of mine, Jerry Durham. We're going to talk about a lot of good topics this week, some of them being that as clinicians, we need to look a little bit more upstream in our thinking and consider factors that influence a patient's journey before they enter our clinics. We're going to talk about managing expectations and building therapeutic alliance with patients and how that's crucial for successful outcomes. We're going to talk about giving more than you get as it can lead to more long-term success and positive impact in healthcare. We'll speak to how moving conversations upstream and setting expectations early on in a patient's journey can be crucial for success. We're going to talk about the misalignment in organizations and how that can negatively impact patient care. And Jerry's going to give us some thoughts on how he thinks we can fix this. Enjoy the episode. This is the Modern Pain Podcast with Mark Cardula. Welcome to the podcast, Jerry. Hello, Mark. Good seeing you again. It's funny. Everything comes full circle eventually, right? Yes, yes. Jerry and I have known each other for a bit. First, social media. I think we talk and reflect back where I think we, did, we didn't really maybe hit it off well initially on social media. I think we had some. Dude, I didn't hit it off well with anybody on social media. <laughs> that Every story, dude, that's so funny you bring that. I can tell you, I'll say it right now. Todd Davenport, David Poulter, right? It started with a little E, right? Everything. All the time, I would consider them friends, colleagues and friends now. It was yeah. like, tough it out. People learn how to communicate, which was on me, but yeah. Yeah, I learned to have some tough conversations. I think that definitely has been my growth over time too, as far as, and we've talked about it in past episodes, just some of the times conversations came in your view, as far as questioning, maybe some of your practices, your thoughts, your beliefs and things and how struggle, how that's tough for clinicians, for anybody, just being a human, that's just stuff just stirs your emotions up and being able to compose yourself and recognize that, hey, you don't know nearly what you think and that there's always different views that you should take into account. So I've always appreciated that about you. And uh, yeah, from our initial, maybe a uh, little rough <laughs> intro. Hilarious. Yeah. I, I laugh because it, there's so many stories like this. And, and I want to I want to just put one qualifier in there, not because I don't want people to think I'm just a good communicator because I, I wasn't and I'm still not because I'm still working on it. Here's the thing. I've just been there longer than everybody else. So I had a long time to fuck it up and then finally figure it out. And everybody's, oh, look at this. Oh, yeah. Look at this conversation. Oh, yeah. We're good friends. And I'm like, oh, no, I didn't start that way. I've just been here longer and <laughs> fucked it up more than anybody else. Yeah. Yeah. I think we all have all have been there with our looking back. I know I've had some times where, man, I wish I didn't hit send on that, but did it happened and you learn, you grow. And I think 
Uh, I agree. I think the more you're out there, just putting your voice out there and putting your views out there, the more you hone your craft of being able to communicate. And it, it is met with failures, but that's no different than clinical practice as well, as far as, yeah, there you go. Um, yeah social media doesn't always portray that well, but we were just having a conversation with Mike Stewart earlier today about that. And we'll save that for later. But as far as uh, just that, that failures aren't even ever ones that rarely hit social media and any of that stuff. But yeah, right, let's right. talk a little bit because we had a good discussion. As always, I have good discussions with Jerry. He always makes me think and pushes me to consider things a little bit more big picture. But we've been talking about this thing. And I think especially when it comes to folks in pain, it's such a downstream system that we work with, especially as physical therapists, where we are often so far downstream from a lot of nocebo-laden communications and journeys that people are on. Uh, maybe before we even get into this downstream versus upstream talk, most folks I know who are listening to this know of you, Jerry, but if you don't mind introducing yourself and then we'll get into some of that discussion. This is my, <clears throat> excuse me, this is my 30th year. And I, I say, I, I introduce myself as Jerry Durham. I've been in healthcare for 30 years. I've been a physio, physical therapist for 30 years, but I say I've been in healthcare. I've been in acute care settings. I've been in a home health setting. I've been in, I've owned my own business. And then at the tail end of this journey, I've been in the business side of it. And so I, I say I've been in healthcare for 30 years, but yeah, as a physio, and again, you, you heard my parts of the journey, had my own business. Th those business years were very interesting. That was a, it was an 18 year, probably million dollar MBA. It probably cost me a million dollars to get my MBA over 18 years, right? Plus my pile of books, plus the mentors and business groups I stumbled into and found. And I'm going to say, I don't say this to sound real humble because humility and me don't always align. I have, and I don't say this to get people to think I'm smarter than them, but dude, I made all the mistakes. I made all the mistakes along the way. And I didn't realize I was making the mistakes till I make the reflection. And even things I share here today, I tell people all the time that the, what I feel is over the 30 years, I gathered up all the puzzle pieces and I piled them up on the table, right? As tall as I am. And I've just been spending the last 18 years, 15 years, just starting to put the pieces together. So I don't claim that I knew this journey from the beginning. I don't claim anything I share with you. I knew from day one. What I will claim is I've made every mistake that anybody could possibly make in this journey and that I can align with you in that way. And I'm just bringing now my reflection, my experiences back of trying to put those puzzle pieces together. I hope that was a good introduction, but I think it's important that people understand the context of where people are and where they were. Just like, yeah. dude, just like a patient interview, right? Here we go. Yeah. Again. And Here then again. it's all the same. Uh, no, hundred percent. And with that journey you speak of, we as physical therapists and, and not just physios, but obviously that's our, tends to be our audience uh, along with maybe some chiropractors and other folks, but we see such a small snippet of that journey. And I think sometimes our considerations as clinicians is so narrow of what we just see in the four walls of our clinic. And it limits our ability to help people because what influences what we see in those four walls is often what's been going on outside those four walls and what's led them to that I'd love if you could talk a little bit about that downstream, one little narrow piece of the journey that we get into and some of the th things you're doing to help us consider more upstream and maybe looking at things a little bit differently than we traditionally do as, as physical therapists and folks working with people in pain. It's interesting because I'm thinking about the, my journey and getting to this point. And, and I am going to take credit for this. I remember sitting in PT school 
by the way, I've been out 30 years. So that means 30 plus years ago, by the way, I went, I, I had my MPT. So it was 24 month program. I remember sitting in school going, Hmm. And by the way, I claim nothing more than thinking this is why are we waiting for people to get injured? And I didn't know these terms, right? I didn't know a lot of these terms we're going to use today. And I said, why are we waiting for people to get injured? And I, and so I thought what I want to do when I get out of school is I want to help people not get injured. And so I went to some people and talked to people about, hey, how about if I do this? Safeway, I, I'm from California. Safeway was, is huge in California. There was no Costco. There was no anything, no Walmart back then. But it's the same thing, right? So I was like, how about if I went and I worked in a warehouse at Safeway and all I did all day long was give patient education around low back pain. This was 32 years ago and it died on the vine. Why? Because everybody told me there was no money in it. Nobody wanted to do it. You can't prove it. You can't do this. And so I let it go. And that from day one, I, I do remember, I was like, why are we waiting for people to get injured? Then fast forward over the years that anytime I heard a conversation like this, it would catch my ear or I would read it online. And there are a lot of people on this journey that I've reached out to who've shared a lot of information with me. One of the big ones is Mike Eisenhardt out of Proactivity, right? People like that and really seeing the value of not waiting in the clinic for an injured person or someone who needs your services, a painful person, whatever, to call and say, I need your help. And I saw the value. Here's the cool thing. I saw the value to the person. I saw the value to your business and I saw the value to the system as a whole, employers, insurance, all of it. So it was like this, right? The triple aim thing, I call it that the triple aim, right? I know that's not quite the definition, but this triple aim of serving, how can we impact all three of these? When we sit in the clinic and we wait after someone, a woman has had a baby to treat them postpartum and do nothing before, we're not part of a solution. Sorry, my friends. We're part of a very temporary short-term impact. I'll call it an impact, but the solution is to talk to the, and I'm not saying don't have babies. I'm not saying don't treat people postpartum. I'm saying you should be engaged with this person, right? Way before they step into your office. And so if we take these blinders off and get in this mindset of, okay, there is a purpose for in-office visits, but that should be tertiary, right? I call it tertiary care. So again, just thinking about it that way, how, what could, what could I do to impact? Let, let's just take one person. What could I do to impact this person's journey? So maybe they don't need to come into my office, which freaks everybody out from a business side, because that's the way I get paid. And that's the only world I know. But then I'm like, there's more money upstream, right? So what can I do to impact this person's world that they don't need to invest their time, money, and energy three years down, nine months down, 10 months down. And actually the dollar they spend today is way more valuable than the dollar they spend later. So that's the mindset around all this and my journey into this. It's just always questioning, why are we waiting for the phone to ring? Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more on that. And I always just, and I've had probably had to look in the mirror on this one a little bit too, because it's so easy to sit in your clinics and, and bitch and complain about 
all the things that are going wrong before the person comes into your office, why don't you do something about it? And I do think there are some clinicians doing some good stuff. You know, oh, we, yeah. have the beauty oh, of, yeah, we have the beauty of YouTube and things like that where, hey, we can give people resources and things to hopefully better navigate some challenges. Obviously, there's some limitations of that, but I do think there's such avenues. And like Mike Eisenhart and his group are a great example of some folks that are, are swimming upstream and doing some things to not wait till the wheels fall off before you're going to try to help somebody. And I think there's this weird mindset in physical therapy, and I don't know others that as much have it, but this whole episode of care is the only place we interact with a human. And once they're discharged, like we lose complete touch with this person and, and like they are no longer part of our world. I think we can serve people so much better if we could just see beyond the clinic. And I think there's got to be some clinicians, some practices that are like, wow, that would open up a whole new revenue stream for us. Cause I know that often becomes the, the discussion. I get it. We can't just do things for the sake of doing them without having some sort of ability to, to keep benefits and keep lights on and all that stuff. I get it. But just the, what do you think is behind our limitation to, to see you talk to people probably more than anybody I know of, of who struggle to see beyond the clinic and beyond this journey downstream? You, like what, what are the big barriers you're seeing out there that really influence that? Um, <laughs> I, I, I just want to figure out the best way to go at this without going down a rabbit hole and going, wait, where'd we start? There's a couple components and bear with me on this. I, I, right. It's, I'm in outpatient clinics. I'm in network clinics. I'm in out of network clinics. I'm in cash pay clinics. I'm in peds clinics. I'm in women's health clinics. I'm in musculoskeletal clinics. I'm in neuro clinics, right? I've been in a couple hospitals recently. The pain we know today, right? Is that pain will choose if there's a possibility of shifting to something and getting out of pain but it may not work. I'll stick with my pain today. And we all know these studies, my friends, it's been proven over and over. And we could go back to what I like to say is our embracement of the status quo, because it's the only thing we know. And it's the pain we know. And I've learned a lot about this year, even from a financial side, I've seen it put a number in front of somebody about how much money they're losing out of their business monthly. And then they decide to do nothing. And I've spent a lot of time examining why would someone do that, right? From a psychology side. And it's no different, absolutely zero difference than the patients we treat. So this pain we know is far better than the unknown, is far better than the change. So I'll stick with this machine shocking me every five minutes because I don't know what's on the other side of this. So, right. So I'll give you an example, right? You go into a clinic and there's so much energy and there's so much time and there's so much money invested in this one model that everybody's a they start to believe there's nothing else out there b they won't open up because they spend so much time money and energy uh, the energy time and money to maintain status quo is, is insane in healthcare and so back to your point i don't go in and tell people to blow up your business i say how can we incorporate exactly what you just said mark how can we incorporate this into your current model? And really where I have to start with them is showing them the finances of it, right? And the opportunity, actually better than opportunity. I like this word potential, right? What is the potential of this work? What will the impact be? And what is the risk to you? Because this change thing has to do with all those. And I think, I think a big thing with change is people don't look at the risk, right? 
And so what is the, what's the potential here if we do this, right? Like I've talked to Dr. Katie O'Brien, I've talked to Rebecca Seagraves, I've talked to Dr. Rebecca Griffith. They're all further upstream and they ain't that far upstream. Let me tell you people, they're a step or two ahead and they're training people. And one of the things they're doing and very wisely is they're coming in and showing people how to bring primary care, how to do ER from your current model. So this idea of, and this resistance to change is just so much time, money, and energy in the status quo. And then the psychology that goes behind that in understanding that, look, you can have this here because I see the current model mostly as a tertiary care. So you should be asking yourself, what one layer can we add above that? What one layer can we add above that in our current model? Because I'm not telling anybody to blow their business up. So hopefully that answered the question. No, hundred percent. I think it's interesting. Yeah, I do agree. There's a lot of gripping of the status quo and the pain, like you said, is much more of, at least it's predictable. There's a sense of knowing, way, right? the knowing versus the unknowing. And yeah, it, it's a, it's a tough thing. Um, no different than sitting across from not talking to a patient man, going through the same thing. No, hundred percent. Why, Why should I change? <laughs> Yeah, I have a patient right now who's just struggling to make that change as far as sitting, laying bedridden for the most of the day versus because she knows she has a schedule that she lives by with her pain laying in bed. But getting out of that is just an unknown of not knowing what's going to happen and a major challenge for her. So, yeah, definitely some parallels between uh, apparently we're all humans. Crazy to think. But if I type that into Twitter 30 times a week, man, I go humans. I'll, I'll just reply people, humans. What do you expect? And that's the sad part. We expect differently. And I think it's because there's another thing. Expectations aren't aligned properly. Yeah, I'd I'd love if you could unpack that a little bit about expectations and where you because you you do some great work. I know with Maxi Michak and other folks who are really looking at therapeutic alliance, patient expectations, all those things. I know you have some projects in the hopper, too, on that. But where do you see that? Not only because uh, you work beyond just the clinical side, you work on the whole business side of that. And yeah, and really, what's funny, what's interesting, I've really tried really hard to get in on the clinical side. No one wants a conversation, dude. <laughs> so I have, I have what I call, I have the rules of engagement for a successful course of care. I have the SOPs written out from first phone call, managed all the way to arrival, to first visit the evaluation. By the way, I never tell anybody how to treat. I never tell anybody how to, how many visits. I never tell anybody what to charge. I tell everybody how to talk, right? How do we manage this person through this journey so that we can keep fear, doubt, and uncertainty low, and we can keep expectations managed and set. And when all that happens, we're going to build more trust. We're going to build more alliance, and we're more than likely going to get the result we desire, low risk, and where people are going to not no show or sorry, people are going to cancel less, hopefully not no show and not drop off. That's it. I've got the whole system. Nobody wants it down. Right. Oh, no, no, we got this. So what has happened and what I love is right here we go going upstream. Your front desk is upstream, right? Your marketing's upstream and people want to engage in that. That's where I start this whole journey. And it's interesting because I want people to understand, because I know this is a lot of clinical stuff here. My, my work in expectations upstream, my work in alliance, I refuse to say therapeutic alliance anymore. And I'll, 
if you want to go down that rabbit hole of how ego-driven therapeutic alliance is and that one moment, that fucking 15 minutes of time, and we're supposed to read all this research and learn how to build a therapeutic alliance with someone we're going to spend 30 minutes with. I'm like, this is absurd. It's all, it's almost laughable, man. So I call it alliance because it can be built. And I'm doing some work on this right now, as I shared with you. The work I do upstream came out of J-O-S-P-T, dude. Bishop, we've had this conversation. Bishop, Belosky, and Clelander, right? Their work on expectations. I remember first reading that as a clinician and thinking, how can I apply this? How can I use it? Then when I went upstream, I'm like, wait a minute. Why, why aren't we doing this before they get here? Anybody who's ever read an article on expectations, why? And then the research is always about, okay, so when they get in the office, I'm like, I think you're missing the point. This thing about expectations and managing expectations. I teach front desk people how to differentiate past experiences from current expectations. And I do secret callers into clinics, right? Where I say, hi, I'm Jerry. I have low back pain. I want to get scheduled for physical therapy. In five years, six years, seven years of doing secret callers, I've been asked my expectations zero amount of time. Expectations correlate with outcomes greater than anything else in our research. And I'm like, by the way, you owe the person you're talking to to get their expectations. Because if you can't deliver it, you should not put them on the schedule. I you, think I went a little tangential there, but I think no, no. the expectation part. that we uh, A couple of things I'd love to unpack there because it's, it's no different going to a restaurant and you as the restaurateur, I'm going to give you the food I think you need because heaven forbid I ask and By you, the way, that's one of my favorite examples, dude. I'm like, when's the last time you went to a restaurant and had no idea? Oh, we won't tell you till you get here. Yeah. How quickly would that place close down, dude? They don't even get the menu. The patients don't even get the menu. It's like, no, we're going to serve you. Like you are told what you are going to eat. And, and we, heaven forbid, we prepare meals that are in line with your tastes and what you like. We're just going to, heaven forbid, you choose a restaurant that fits your expectations. Even heaven forbid, here, let's do, you call, do you have Italian food? No. Oh, I'm looking for Italian food. Oh, you know what? There's a great Italian restaurant about half the way down the street. You should give them a call. Here's their phone number. Thank you. You're welcome. Click. <laughs> Tell that to a business owner, dude. Yeah. No, they're, yeah. Their head would explode. I can mm -hmm. imagine. Um, I train front desk people to do that. Sometimes I don't even tell, and I'll say it here. Sometimes I won't even tell the business owner that's what we're doing. Well, and and, oh, me, by the way, you're going to recommend when they say no, right? Everybody comes to me and wants, Hey, Jerry, how can we manage these objections? I'm like, don't get them. Bring them up first. Yeah. Knock them down before. And then yeah. when you're not a good fit, don't try to fit a round peg in a square hole. It's and there's to healthcare, be... dude. There's healthcare. Yeah. And here's these, fuck, here we go again, man. Here are these people that are raising their hand by calling your clinic, by saying, I need your help. I need your help. Cool. What's going on? Got back pain. Great. What's your insurance? Blue Cross. We don't take that. Okay, click. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is depressing. Hey, oh, 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 real quick. Let's go back to expectations. They hang up. I say, what they want? They want to know if we took our their insurance. I'm like, time out. 
they called here and told you you had back pain. Yeah, but they wanted to know if we took their insurance and I told them no. I'm like, so what they want from us? They want to know if we took their insurance. I said, you don't call a physical therapy office to find out your insurance benefits. They called you because they have a problem that needs to be solved. And you didn't even have the courtesy to talk to them about what that problem is to even see if you're a fit. No. Yeah. So you yeah. just told them, here we go. You want to talk about status quo and the change in the current system? This is why your first question, I was like, which way are we going to go? So you just told that person. And then here's what else I get, dude, all these years of this. The front desk person, by the way, I blame the owner, not the front desk person. Whoever the fuck trained this person, did them a disservice, left them hanging out there, and they are going to do what they believe is best. And it is not on them. It's on you. So when you yeah. hear me talking like I'm bashing on the front desk, no, I'm not. I'm bashing on the person who hired them and did not train them. That front desk person will tell me all people care about is their insurance. Hmm. So what they ask you, they asked if we took their insurance. I said, why'd they ask you that? They don't know. I'm like, so you told them it's about their insurance. I said, you realize you're facilitating, you're perpetrating the fucking fraud that you believe that they, all they care about is insurance because everybody they call goes, what's your insurance? What's your insurance? What's your insurance? I said, that's you. That's not them. Yeah, it, it is head scratching from time to time. I know you've, you've dealt with these discussions and these frustrations. Dude, I listen um, to these calls every day. They're the single most valuable thing I've done in these 30 years is listen to new patient phone calls. Yeah. Right. Potential yeah, new patients. Sorry, because they don't all schedule, right? Yeah. And, and it, it is just the, the thought process that I've seen out there is just get everybody in. And if they, yeah, yeah. Right. So it's funny, get everybody in, but don't, not the people. Wait, I'm like, wait, do we get everybody in or do we, how, you know, it's weird in sales lingo, it's called qualifying a lead. I'm like, you're qualifying a lead by how they're going to pay. So here's another thing, right? The restaurant thing. Hey, hey, Mark. Yeah, I was wondering if I could get a reservation at 630. Yeah, how are you going to pay? Well, I was thinking about using my credit card. No, sorry, we don't take credit cards. Click. It's what they have paid out of pocket. Were they going to, do they have a check? <laughs> could they Venmo you? What? Yeah. And we could go down this rabbit hole for, you know, yeah, that's why I'm going to sit back and be quiet here for a few podcasts for sure. I'd love if you could touch upon a little bit about your view on where patients sit and all this thing, because they're obviously the consumer. And I know you're doing some consumer facing things to, to open the eyes. I, when you discussed like how clinicians are so resistant to, 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 to you coming in and, and cause the magic has to happen in that little treatment room. None of this stuff matters outside of my treatment room. It's my magical approach and, or letters after my name versus again, I think we do such a better service as you've already pointed out. You'd very be surprised well. some of the things I've heard from clinicians coming in and saying, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you be able to facilitate a conversation and move forward and get agreement on the plan of care that you are going to give them. I'm not telling you what plan of care. I'm just saying, have the conversation in this manner. Yeah. And I can only imagine, cause I know my, when I, parts of my career, probably I would struggle with anybody telling me how I'm going to communicate or do any of that stuff. And yeah, we've all probably been there when we were a little insecure clinically, but 
yeah, as hopefully if you've listened to this podcast even a little bit, you've recognized that how we communicate and the relationship we establish with a patient of trust of and belief and seeing that we and alliance. Genu- I think alliance genuinely is a care. Word. I'll use alliance. Yeah. And the research, here's what's interesting about alliance research. It exists way outside of healthcare, way before healthcare, healthcare ever came up with it. That's another big issue. I will say this and stop. It's another big issue in healthcare. We believe the only solutions are in healthcare. Yeah. I have learned more on how to facilitate a successful patient journey from a sales handbook than any single healthcare article I've ever read in my life. Yeah. You look at how healthcare forms policy. It's minimally about the consumer. It's about, <laughs> again, just the whole thing of- There you go. You- There's no other industry that, that downplays the actual consumer buyer, whoever, right? That this consumer buyer client patient in healthcare, man. Yeah. It's, we're going to shove our menu at you relentlessly without your input on what the dishes are, what the appetizers are, what you might drink. It's just like- Ultimately you're paying. We're back to the consumer here, right? Patient. Ultimately you're paying. Yeah. Employee benefits. That's what I always love. Oh, I hate cash PT. I'm like, where the fuck? So what do you have? Oh, I'm all contracting. Fuck the cash PTs. I'm like, where do you think the people's benefits are getting paid for? Out of their fucking paycheck, man. Yeah. Employer. Yeah. By the way, out of their wages. We had this conversation online, right? It's healthcare costs and your benefit costs that are keeping you from getting a bigger raise. Yeah. So yeah. tell me who pays most for this. Yeah. Every, I, there was a post the other day about end of year and deductibles resetting and everybody's showing up and right, blah, blah, blah. And, and I recommend everybody show up and get everything they can out of their insurance. And I went, I sat in that for a bit before I responded. I said, said, interesting take. I said, we definitely learn a lot about people at this point in time in the year. And their response was insurance related and getting the most out of it. I said, I was taught something a while back, this term agency effect, and we use it in healthcare. But I'm like, you realize we give up agency when we engage and take insurance. We've separated ourselves from the decision and the financial impact and said, you take care of that. I'm like, we facilitate that on our side, on the healthcare side. When you ask people about their insurance, you're taking away their agency. It's about their insurance. That agency effect was huge. I forget who first presented that to me. That was about six, seven years ago. Yeah. The agency of a patient has been stripped so much from that whole situation. And and also, like you said, practitioner, when we put it in insurance companies' hands and all these different things, which... I, I don't think anybody listening will argue that our system is quite jacked up and in need of. And then we, so what I want to say is because everybody will tell us the system's jacked up. Cool. Good. Good starting point. We facilitate greater than 51% of the fucked upness of the system. Yeah. And this might be a good jumping off point to, and you mentioned this of, we just want to, what about keeping people out of healthcare? What about services to, to get them to where they don't, There's this, let's wait till the wheels fall off illness care system. I even hesitate to call our system a health care system because it's, we're going to wait till you're in in trouble before we do anything. And then it's going to be probably more revenue-based care versus anything that's semblance of patient-centered or evidence-based or evidence-informed, any of that stuff. What are your thoughts on opportunities for us to, instead of just waiting, especially with people in pain, because oftentimes 
I got patients right now who are asking me, what's, would you have a recommendation with a, for a pain doctor? How many have you seen so far? 14. I'm like, and it's this continued journey of like constant, like if we could just get in their lives earlier before this 14 pain docs happened. And I know there's some options like YouTube and different things. And that's where we're looking to start creating some patient facing resources. Cause I'm not wait. I'm definitely not gonna wait for Yeah, We got to go. If we want to be honest, dude, we got to go way upstream, right? Even in the model that I was talking about, because I still think about primary care, ER care, ER is, I don't know. ER is tertiary, maybe whatever the word for fourth level care, but Rebecca Griffith, uh, I, I got to give her a shout out because she said one of the most, she said she had a business model for current business owners in communities with a hospital. She said, go set up a tent in the parking lot in the ER. You do not know how much business you could get running a PT clinic out of a tent in an ER parking lot and screening the people going in. What do you have? I have low back pain. So stop here right? Meaning people you can serve and help at that moment in time. So think about that for a second. Everybody's so resistant to change. And she's saying, if you dropped a tent in the parking lot at an ER, right? And everybody, everybody would go, how am I going to get paid? And I'm like, yeah, sure. But yeah, we need to go further upstream. And again, I've been around for a while and in a good way. I say this in a positive way. I was around before when I went to what PT school, dude, we, I was in the library doing research, right? With my copy card. Internet was just new. I had the flip phone. You didn't use your phone unless it was an emergency and obviously no social media. So now with the advent of social media and social media, every day it peaks, right? Meaning every day is a new day for something. There is, now you get to see real humans. See, I say, people say are like social media created something. I'm like, no, just gave people a megaphone. Because if you look at the psychology of it all, it was no different. It was just in our communities. It's just now on a bigger scale. I, I don't think anything's new and people want maybe staring down at your phone. We can talk about that, but the way people interact, no, it's no different. I'm sorry. And I've had this conversation with people, just a megaphone. So instead of pushing back and going, wow, it's created this horrible, people don't know how to communicate. I'm like, fuck, you think you, they knew how to communicate before there was Facebook. They didn't know how to communicate. So getting back to your question is we see social media where people, some people like to spend all their time, money, and energy bashing other things. And they'll tell you, we have to get this word out. We have to tell you why this is bad. I'm like, why don't we flood the market with the positive instead of the negative? So instead of you creating an account and creating hundred thousand followers, because you go out and find everything that you, you and your tribe think is bad. Why don't you just get those hundred thousand people to all share positives and show good interactions. And so again, the value of YouTube, the value of any social media platform to get a message out to the consumer side is so undervalued and so misunderstood that there are people, Anthony Moritato does this. He teaches people how to get on social media and how to get leverage through that channel to get their exercises out, to get their education tools out. But no one's doing that because, because it takes some work, because it's not the status quo. So really that's where we need to be is consumer facing. And here's my other favorite one. The APTA should do this. I'm like, what are you doing? What, what are you doing? What are you doing? Right? I'm sitting in my clinic treating 20 people a day. I'm like, good on you. We can go upstream, the marketing side, the consumer facing side. There are so many people out there 
that want the information, that need our help, the pain people, that you can get the eyeballs if you're not trying to piss everybody off every minute of every day. And then having resources. Every YouTube page should have resources for people, right? Right? Not just the PT part, maybe a YouTube page. I love this integrated model, right? Integrated health model of bringing different people in, a nutritionist, a personal trainer, a Cairo, MD, right? And everybody's aligned in this. My wife belongs to one of these systems. She pays a fair amount of money. And it's nice because everybody is aligned in the conversation. So no matter who she sees, the conversation's the same. Do I agree with all of it? No. But is it fucking off the rails shit? Fuck no. Is it a solution to a problem? Hell yeah. Because guess what? My wife's healthier. She exercises more. She does all these things. So I'm like, how is this bad? Yeah. And so that's where we have to go. And I like this integrated model a lot, right? And by the way, and so the integrated systems, and I'm just going to use my wife's group as the example, you go to their social media, they're sharing nutrition, they're sharing exercise, they're sharing physical therapy, they're sharing the doctor talking, right? So someone who needs that understands that, hey, maybe this is right for me, right? And by the way, they put out a lot of good educational stuff too. That to me is, so you have this center, but you have to be willing to give to get, right? So you got to put more stuff upstream and allow people who may never, ever spend a dollar with you to benefit from what you do. Yeah. <clears throat> There's a scarcity mindset of, I just, uh, people can't see that, that sharing that value and putting that value out in the world will be, will come back in droves if you just, but yeah, will it have some people that you just give a lot of free stuff away that helps a lot of people? Yeah. To me, that's great. And then the people that need more handholding or more guidance or more things you've established. Well, that, now like, we're talking about trust. those levels, right? So really, yeah. if there's that tertiary, there's that secondary, there's that primary, but there's the one before, right? And it's what you're talking about. Yeah, that's perfect. I never thought about it that way. But yeah, that's exactly what we're talking about. Give to get. I say yeah. that twice a week. Yeah. And it's just interesting where we're so resistant to it. It's everything has got to have, you know, again, it, it's... To, if you're willing to give away a lot of goodwill into the world, it will come back. I, One of my I, favorite, I get... I, and because I think this builds into what we're talking about, Naveen Jain, N-A-V-E-E-N-J-A-I-N. I first heard him on the Impact Tom Bilyeu podcast, and it was still, it is so burned in my head. I don't remember people's names I met yesterday. But Naveen Jain is literally that story, right? Family packs him up, was living in a, home with a mud floor, right? A dirt floor. Family packs him up from India. He literally, as a little kid, had 25 cents in his pocket. His parents had nothing. He's a he's an entrepreneur, right? He's very successful now. Naveen Jain said, probably the most, and I'm probably going to get this tattoo. One of the, probably one of the most inspirational things I ever heard that impacts this conversation, that impacts the work I want to do with Rebecca Seagraves, that impacts the work I want to do with my clinics. If you want to make a billion dollars, find a problem that one billion people have and charge them all one dollar. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> he said that, dude, I will guarantee you, I literally fell the fuck out of my chair because I was like, I have never, ever. It's always, how much can I charge? What's the maximum I can charge for everybody? That's always been my mindset, right? Mm -hmm. 
I think it's tradition in most folks' mindset is like wanting to really look that route. But yeah, no, it's been interesting just as I've trying to look at ways to provide value to people without how do we reach as many people as possible. I think that approach of being able to give more than you get and it will definitely, it's not a, it's a long term play a little bit, but if you put the work in and you put the resources well, out there. If you talk about this potential impact and risk model again, I tell you what, set up a business and start with this, start with the fact that I'm only going to charge people a dollar. Now the work's on you, right? Mm -hmm. And this is what's interesting. And this is what I don't like about some of the healthcare coaching groups out there. The solution to everything is raise your prices. Yeah. And I'm like, how can that be this? E, e. I, I can tell you what, healthcare people devalue what they do. And they the majority starting out under charge. I get it. But come to a level where it's right, where it's a, appropriate, whatever that term means. Sure. And then, but start this consumer facing business that I want to start. My, the challenge to myself is, is to not charge the consumer at all. So then the work is on me to find ways and people and beneficial things that can benefit that consumer. And I will charge them. But again, maybe we charge them 99 cents a month, right? Mm -hmm. Yet, I would do that just as a kind of skin in the game type thing. I don't sure. know. But then the challenge is on me. The work is on me. But if I'm like, oh, I'm going to charge 250 bucks. It's like when people tell me they're raising their prices again, there's another issue in the business. <clears throat> yeah, definitely. Jerry, we could talk about this stuff for hours. And we have. We've pondered this over bourbon and, and whiskey and other beverages in the past. But what are some things we you're up to that you, I'd love to highlight some of the things you're up to and where can folks get uh, contact with you? My website is Client Experience Company. It needs to be updated. But I think if you go there, you'll see some of the work I've done. And what you'll see is the work, I think, because the testimonials I put on there try to reflect what we talked about. How does mm -hmm. doing work upstream, your front desk, right? Integrating the non-clinical members into your business as a team, true team, and look at the look at the patient results, look at the client results, and then look at the business results from that. And that's what the client experience company is about, is how do we take this expectations work? How do we take this fear of the status quo? How do we take managing and setting expectations? How do we take all this work and move it upstream and then facilitate moving that conversation with the person. So when Mark calls the office and says, this is the problem, low back pain is not a problem to be solved. Mark can't go to work. Mark can't pick up his grandkid. Mark can't go to the gym. That's a problem to be solved. Once I have that information has to travel with Mark. So when Mark comes in to see his expert, Dr. Jane Doe, that he got set up with that helps people just like him get back to the gym pain-free, Mark walks in the door, Mark's greeted, by his name and his goals. Mark doesn't have to repeat himself. And doc, this is what I script out. Stuff like clarifying, redefining expectations at the beginning of the visit because they were set. So Mark, I know you spoke to our front desk team. I know they took information from you. By the way, if you have to repeat yourself, just know I want to, I need to go deeper into the information, right? What's that take me 20 seconds to say that? The value of that statement right there Dude, if I tell you the feedback I've gotten from my clients who took this downstream of someone at the beginning going, Mark, I know you're here for A, B, and C, and I know that you're expecting this. Is this correct? 
And the guy might, I'll never forget the PT who told me the first time he did that. And the guy stopped the patient. So he said that to the patient. I know you're here for these three things. And I know this is what you're expecting. Is this correct? And the person sitting there paused and said, wait a minute. Where'd you get that information from? And he said, when you spoke to Becky at the front desk, you shared that with her. And she gave that to me so I'd know right where we were starting today. So you guys communicate. You guys talk to each other here. Yeah. Yeah, we do that. Oh, cool. I'm like, dude, that's like 30 seconds into an hour long eval. I'm like, we're done. He'll fucking sign any planet care you give. Just bear with me on this, right? But we're done. Yeah, such a sad reflection of the status quo in our profession. Yeah. That So that's, that's the such... work I do, right? That's yeah. the work of the client, client experience company is making sure we have the right people upstream at the front desk to manage this journey, to make sure you have the systems, and then we connect them. I talked about these rules of engagement. I have SOPs for pre-arrival. I have SOPs for the evaluation. And I have, by the way, I have one SOP for follow-up because every visit should be managed outside of the clinical part, right? Remember, mm -hmm. I'm not telling you how to manage clinically. It should be managed the same exact way. It's so funny. The pre-arrival SOP takes weeks, maybe months to put together. The fucking course of care SOP took 15 minutes to put together. Yeah. And by the way, you and I would talk about it for maybe 20 minutes and we'd be done. Yeah. The impact is upstream. So this is the work I do with my client experience company. This is the work I love doing with people. I'm going to tell you right now, the results will be increased patient success. So less cancels, less no-shows, less drop-offs, more completed plans of care, which if you're a business owner, let's make the next jump. That's more money for the business. That's more client satisfaction. That's more employee satisfaction. That's less chaos downstream. Right. Yeah. That's more people on the schedule who arrive, pay and stay. That's the work I do. The other thing I'm currently working on is, is working on a paper with some other people. And we're looking at the research and the proof of the right, the proof behind this work of how to get organizations, our organizations misaligned and how is it impacting the patients we serve? And I got to tell you, the research is out there, my friends, that shows that there's a misalignment between management, clinical and the patient. And I'm like, cool. I'm the solution. Yep. Yep. It's interesting how, again, we, it goes back to the restaurant analogy of how absolutely. That's all it is. And by the way, if, and when we do work together, you're going to go, that's it. And I'm going to go, now you just got to fucking do it. A hundred percent of the fucking time. And my clients who do it, I, I got a group right now. They, oh man, I'm bringing the knowledge without the action is right. It's like a yeah, useless. Yeah. I got a group now in nine months, they, they got four offices, dude. So I'll let you all do the math, right? Their, their cancel rate has just gone from one to 17 to 14 to 12. Now that's monthly. So that means every month, 9% of their visits on the schedule are keeping the schedule and staying there. I'll let you do the math on that, everybody. It is over... It's over 10% of their margin or sorry, yeah. over 10% of their revenue that goes straight to the bottom line. They didn't have to hire people. They didn't, there, there was no software purchased, no hires made, no nothing. They just, they built the system 
the connectedness in this business. And guess what? Patients show up. Is that good for them? You tell me. Good for the patients, right? Love the work you're doing, my friend. And it seems if clinicians can just get out of their own head of this magical. Well, the owners, don't forget this, this, this is, own, well, I'm going to challenge and say, it's got to start up here. In oh yeah. hundred percent. Owners have to understand. Right. I just want to make sure I say that because I'll bash on everybody that yeah. <laughs> I always well, the, have to clarify at the beginning. I'm going to bash on everybody, but just bear with me. They think the value only lies in the treatment room and there's. So yeah. So, so given. I will give you that it's this, right. Yeah. And that idea of, yeah, the pushback. I got to share this real quick. The pushback I've gotten from a couple of clinicians going, the front desk can't do that. That's my job. I'm like, and you're going to be the one burning out of the system in five years and saying, fuck this system and fuck this and how everybody fucked you over. And I'm showing you how I'm going to make your life easier. Yeah, Yeah. literally front desk can't do that. That's my job. Yeah, Yeah, it's interesting. Frustrating yet interesting at the same time. Hey, I wanted to thank you for your time today, Jerry. I always have a good conversation with you. And those of you who are trying to maybe think a little upstream in your own practices, you need to give this gentleman a call or contact him via his website. We'll link it all in the show notes. Um, For those of you who are listening on your podcast provider, we'd love if you could subscribe, even leave a review. That helps us get more exposure and get more of the good message out to help more folks in pain. Uh, If you're watching on YouTube, we'd love to have you subscribe there as well. But we'll leave it there at this. We'll leave it there this week. Hope you all have a good rest of your week. Have a good holiday season. It's that time of year, at least at the time of recording. We'll talk to you all next week. Thank you, Mark. This has been another episode of the Modern Pain Podcast with Dr. Mark Karchula. Join us next time as we continue our journey to help change the story around pain. For more information on the show, visit modernpaincare.com. This podcast is for educational and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. Please consult a licensed professional for your specific medical needs. Changing the story around pain. This is the Modern Pain Podcast.